0: Today, uh, as we jump into what is the last of our kind of mini summer series um, called Partners in the Gospel, uh, today I have the pleasure to introduce um, Pastor Justin. Uh, Justin was actually a pastor at Marsh Hill Shoreline, which Sound City Bible Church, prior to replanting, was Marsh Hill Shoreline. So when I moved up here from Texas, Justin was one of the folks that I got to know early on when we plugged into the church here. He was serving as the community group's uh, pastor, which is my role now. And uh, we met many a morning since I was a community group leader and uh, a coach, and we would uh, meet for coffee at... uh, uh, cafe ladro or we 'd meet with a bunch of guys at uh, the Red Dragon. They have a really cheap breakfast in the casino there, so we would six o 'clock while everyone 's finishing out their late night gambling binges, we were coming in to have Bible study and to talk about how we were going to launch community groups and care for the people of the church and so We had many years where we got to connect, and uh, just God really used him to challenge me and to grow me and to stretch uh, me in many ways as a disciple of Jesus, and so he's had a rich influence on my life. Uh, We then, um, as a church, got the joy of sending him off to Atlanta. He had had a wild, passionate idea to go um, be a part of building the church in Atlanta in a much more multicultural environment. And so we got the joy of sending him off a few years ago for that, and have just continued to hear tons of great reports of the work that God's been doing in his life and through his life down in the Atlanta area. And so hope that you will uh, just pay close attention. I have no doubt that God's going to have a lot of challenging words for us through Justin today. So, Justin.
1: Thanks, Pastor Travis. Morning. Uh, Yes. As Pastor Travis said, uh, my name's Justin. Uh, this is my home. I grew up 35 years, born and raised as a Seattleite. And uh, my family moved from Edmonds to Atlanta three years ago with hopes of planting a church. We were sent by the local church here in uh, that was Mars Hill Shoreline at the time. And uh, it's been a wild ride over the last three years. And uh, as Pastor Aaron mentioned this morning, <clears throat> this is my second time coming to preach here. Well, which makes uh, Sound City Bible kind of feel like it's, it's been around for a second. Um, that you've had me twice now, uh, two years in a row, to come preach, which is, uh, last time it was a great honor. It was a very uh, important and maybe even healing experience for me to get to come and preach and be uh, celebrated as a pastor that was sent out by this church. And uh, <clears throat> this Sunday, I, uh, I'm really excited to be back to share uh, the heart of what God's doing with our church uh, in Atlanta? Well, we believe He's instructed all of His whole church all over the world to be involved in, which is this idea of transculturalism. Um, Pastor Travis mentioned that that we were sent off with. We had a crazy idea to be part of a multi-ethnic, multicultural church in Atlanta. That isn't really accurate. We we wanted to go down and plant a hipster, uh, you know, artsy. Seattle Church in Atlanta, that's what we wanted to do. Um, We saw that there was a growing, massively growing, uh, creative cultural class in in Atlanta. Um, Atlanta has one of the fastest growing white populations of any city in the nation. Um, As there was white flight in the history of Atlanta when schools were integrated um, and blacks began to get the right... to vote and they started buying property in the city. Many of the whites left to the suburbs for decades um, and now they're flooding back in in droves and uh, gentrifying the city, um, which to me as a white person from Seattle, I didn't have any, not, e- not even one negative thought about that. I thought, well, that seems cool. White people are creating uh, neat new creative neighborhoods and doing the things that I love, making coffee shops and uh, repurposing old warehouses for cool stuff. We'll go be a part of that and plant a church among those people because we know what those people are like. We're from Seattle. Um, the Southern people don't know what those people are like. Uh, the Southern church is backwards and legalistic, and we're going to come in there with our Seattle sensibilities and plant uh, a creative, cool, hipster church. That's what we plan to do. Um, when we got there, uh, we got plugged in with Renovation Church, which um, our values are spirit-led, Jesus-centered, socially conscious, and transcultural. It's a uh, probably 50% black, 50, well, maybe 40% black, 40% white, uh, 10% Asian, Indian, and other uh, church. And... Um, One of these values, this value of transculturalism is that uh, God's uh, creative genius is most clearly seen reflected in all cultures. And so we try very hard to recognize um, all these different cultures, and I started making relationships with people who have very different societal and cultural backgrounds than I do, and they helped me understand more of who God was, who God is, and what he's doing, and what his plan for the church is. And, uh, and we, were, we became ruined for this idea of transcultural church. Uh, we did not any longer want to only plant a church of people that were like us, uh, that wanted to do our kind of stuff. And so we became a part of this church and, and wanted to actually plant a congregation of that church, which was, at that time, the vision of the church that we'd plant congregations all over the city. So we planted their first congregation this last January on the east side of Atlanta, where we live. And we've had about 100 folks come in, a very diverse group, um, and it's an incredible group of people. Uh, lots of people have stepped up as leaders. Um, they love each other incredibly well. The, the support within this community that we've created is just amazing how much time they spend with each other. Uh, we have some families fostering, and we create these foster care communities around them that support them and care for them. Um, and it was, it was really thriving and doing very well. Uh, but in May, our senior pastor brought to our elders this idea that he felt like God was leading us to not be a multi-site church uh, because the, the difficulty, the intentionality it takes to be transcultural was already seen to be stretched thin across just two worship locations. And he couldn't imagine how he could do it over all these different locations without having built up a more transcultural, healthy base first. So we prayed about that and voted on that as elders and we decided to close down our congregation. Um, That was the hardest thing I think I've ever been through in my entire life. Uh, I dreamt for 20 years of being a church planner. I felt like God had called me to be a church planner when I was 19. Um, I'm 38 now. Uh, And we'd gone out and we'd done it and we were doing great. Everything was fantastic. And then we just shut it down. And uh, I was very depressed and very sad, um, maybe a little cynical. um, But I truly believed through the whole thing that what God was doing through the transcultural church was more valuable than my dream of planting a church and my desire to be a lead pastor. And I was willing to submit uh, even this beautiful community that we'd created, uh, this congregation gathering on Sundays, to the good of what God wanted to do through transcultural church. So that's a little background on who I am and where I'm at. Uh, I'm no longer a church planter. Uh, I am now a pastor at uh, Renovation Church. Um, God may call me to be a church planner again one day, but right now I'm submitting that desire, that passion, to building a healthy transcultural church in Atlanta. And, that's, and my hope is to show you from the scriptures, we're going to be in Genesis 12 today, uh, verses 1 and 2, to show you that this is not a, a small thing, but an important and vital thing for our church, this idea of transculturalism. Um, so again, we're going to be in uh, Genesis Verse, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, you can uh, read along with me in your Bibles. I'm sure we'll have it here on the screen uh, or your apps. Uh, we like at our church to stand when we read scripture to honor the word of the Lord, so I'd like to invite you to all stand with me as we read from Genesis chapter 12, uh, verses 1 and 2. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and, in, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's the word of the Lord. Please pray for me as I pray for our time together. Father God, Father um, cause your vision, your plan for your church to be lifted up in a uh, beautiful, inspiring, convicting, uh, powerful way this morning. Holy Spirit, we invite you. Fill us, convict us, guide us, open our ears, open our hearts that your word might do its work, that our Lord Jesus might be lifted up in our hearts and our minds, that we might experience his presence in a way that's um, concrete and tangible, uh, and that he might guide us uh, Into becoming more like him and to glorifying him as his church. We pray these things in his name, Jesus. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. All right. So, I've used this word transculturalism a few times here. You might be asking yourself, why is this idea so important? Um, Well, there's a few reasons. one, it's because some of you might like the idea of a multiracial or multicultural, transcultural church. Um, you might be open to it. It might seem like a good idea, but for, for you, that's all it is. It's a good idea to ruminate on, maybe have a discussion on, maybe listen to a, a sermon or read a book on, um, but it, it's not something that's affecting your daily life. Um, some of you, secondly, might see it as, as an addendum to the gospel. You know, the gospel's the gospel. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. Jesus died for sinners. Um, you don't see it as an as a implication of the gospel that's intertwined with it in a way that it can't be removed. You see it maybe as some, something that would be nice and it'd be great and maybe we could add it on as long as we got the gospel squared away, but it's not a necessity for a healthy church. Um, and then thirdly, finally, some of you, um, you might not think it's a good idea or an addendum to the gospel, but maybe even an annoyance to have to wrestle with race or privilege or our own um, preferences, our cultural preferences, our societal preferences, um, it's difficult for us to see and acknowledge our own inherited prejudices and to wrestle with these ideas. It can, it can wear us down, right? It's an annoyance to have to talk about race and to have to talk about culture and to have to talk about class and to have to talk about the impetus of the Scripture that God wants to gather a people for himself from all people, So, in order to lovingly correct these notions, it's my hope this morning that I'll be able to show you that it's God's plan and His promise for the church um, to to create for Himself a people from all people. This is the impetus of the scriptures, this is God's plan. So, if you're going to actually become a transcultural church, it can't simply be a good idea, it can't be an addendum to the gospel. It certainly can't be an annoyance, but it must be something you champion. It has to be something that you live. It has to be something that you breathe because you believe that God has put it on the backs of the church to live out his plan. When we look at every single section of scripture, the law, the poets, the prophets, the gospels, the epistles, even the apocalyptic, especially the apocalyptic, uh, we see throughout God's goal in redemptive history is to form a family for himself from all people, and the church is the final realization of that goal. Transculturalism is not an addendum to the gospel. It is the goal of the gospel. Transculturalism is not a part of the scriptures, but the very thrust of the scriptures. Transculturalism is not a good idea to be tried by some churches. It is a defining idea for a healthy and biblical church. Thank you. Oh, John is from Renovation Church. He knows how to talk back. Thank you very much, John. Uh, feel free to talk back, but I understand. If I hear the clicking of your pens and see you taking vigorous notes, we know that that's the white amen. <laughs> so that is also appreciated. Uh, in order to act on this, though, we must be able to define the idea. So. Going to, I'm going to define, I've used this word transculturalism quite a bit for you. Uh, pastor Leon Crump, he is our senior pastor. He's our lead pastor that founded our church. And he coined this idea of transculturalism a few years back. Um, and it's a wieldy word to try to, to, to capture all the nuance of what we're trying to say in it. But I believe that this is an excellent definition that he's come up with. It's, it's from his book, Renovate, where you can find it. It says, every human being is endued with the Imago Dei the image of God captured in unique cultural and ethnic expressions which embody the full breadth of God's creative genius, not to be subverted to the ethnic or cultural identity and preferences of another, but celebrated in creating a fuller expression of our humanity, a woven tapestry of color, culture, and class as God forms a people for himself from all people. So in nearly endless succession, Every section of scripture communicates this very idea. God's family cannot function correctly in God's world unless all people groups on the planet are part of and contribute to the life of the family. And this isn't in some kind of ethereal way. This is in a concrete, everyday way, contributing together in interactions to make this family. So like all great plans, uh, his plan, this plan had a great beginning, as God called a nomad to become an immigrant, so that through him he could hatch his plan to form a family for himself from all people with whom he would spend eternity. And that's where we pick up here in Genesis 12. So let's look together at verse one. It says, "Now the Lord said to Abram, "Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you." So this, this section of scripture that follows the tower of Babel, right where God hadn't spoken to anybody. He's spoken to Noah and it had been about 300 years since he'd spoken to anybody. Um, and these folks tried to build a tower. They're saying, I could try to get to God. God says, nah, you can't get to me on your own. There's a little gospel message in there for you. Um, and then he distributes, he, he, he spreads them out with different languages so they can't communicate anymore. And then we pick up here with Abram. He comes to this man and he gives him a command, right? He says, leave. Leave everything that you know. Leave everything you understand. Leave your culture, your history, your ancestry, your comfort, your land. Leave your people, leave your language, and go to where I tell you to go. Let that sit for a second. Abram, you know, he's going to become Abraham, the first Jew, the first one in a long line leading to Jesus. But in order for God's transcultural plan to be hatched, he had to get him out of the context from which he'd sprung. He had to, to take him out of there and send him on a 600-mile trek down to Egypt so he could rework him, he could reshape him to begin this new plan, rewire him. And the book of Hebrews tells us that Abraham was counted faithful by simply obeying and believing God and going. Try to put your help, yourself in Abram's shoes for a moment, right? What if Abram were like us? Are we going to... Are we gonna leave our people not to, not to go to another country, but even to just go across the street or go to another neighborhood? Are we gonna leave our comfort, our context, our language, our society just to obey the will of God? Is obeying the primary driver for how we make our life decisions? Or do we prefer our own people? Do we prefer our own culture? Do we prefer our own ethnic expressions and preferences? And therefore, every aspect of our lives reflects those values, not reflects obeying God's will primarily. We have a hard time with breaking from our preferences. It's much, much easier to relate to, to do life with, to connect with people who are like me than those who are not. It's it's much easier to go to people who are like me than to go to people who are not. Um, When I was ministering back here in Seattle, our old church, uh, we used a term called psychographic. We said we wanted to reach one psychographic from here to Australia. And what that meant was we wanted to reach one group of people that were a certain kind of cultural mix of education and income and creativity. And if we could reach that one group of people really well, we could reach them all over the world. Um, And uh, it was really effective, right? Uh, they teach this principle in seminary as the homogeneous church planting principle, and they say you should plant churches that are the same, because they'll be successful. And do you know why they teach it that way? Because it works. It's really successful. That everybody wants to be together in a church with people that are like them, with music that they like and preaching style that they like. Uh, it works. That's the way that you gather a large group of people. Uh, We all prefer to clump with people who are like us. We don't like to be stretched and challenged. And certainly in the United States, where we're used to church shopping for a church that meets our needs, the idea of going to a church where you have to uh, listen to worship style that's not like what you like or a preaching style that might not be what you like, that is absolutely foreign to us, really foreign to us. So our seminary professors and church planning books and God's... uh, they, they teach us that attempting to plant a transcultural church that reflects God's biblical design for a people gathered for himself from all people will never work. They teach us that it won't work. They tell us that black people and white people and Indian people and Hispanics and Asians, they don't want to worship together. That is literally what they teach. And honestly, as white people from Snohomish County going down to Atlanta, that's, we'd have, we had no other context for that. That's what we thought too. We thought... We'll plant among the white creative class. We actually didn't think white, because especially when you're white, you don't notice you're white, because you're the majority culture. We just thought we were creative, um, you know, in some kind of neutral way. Uh, We didn't realize we were white creatives, uh, right? You know, I'm glad that you're laughing, because I hope that means that you realize that that's true. We don't realize we use the word the word normal for me. I am not even sure what that word means anymore. Now that I have friends across different. I use the word normal. I mean white. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I've used it and then had friends say, oh, is that normal? And I said, what? Uh, I, I, uh, you know, I thought, um, because I just, I've never been challenged by other cultures. And so um, we, we had no other context and we thought this is what we want to do. But when we arrived, we got connected with renovation and we quickly began to realize the riches of understanding the world around us, God's church, his people, his family, and even God himself through the lens of those who come from different cultural backgrounds. We realized we had been missing parts of who God is and the fullness of his design for his people, the church. We had gone to plant a church, and we only understood a sliver of what it meant to be the church, just a little bit. Within the context of the family at Renovation, uh, I've been able to have... Because we believe in transculturalism, I can be ignorant, and I can ask the dumbest questions to my black friends or to my Asian friends, and they will sit with me, and they will love me, and they will will tell me how they experience uh, going into a retail store or um, being pulled over by a police officer or being sat down by their grandparents and being lectured on how they should talk when they're in a certain neighborhood or, when, if, or if a police officer pulls them over. Things that I've never, my parents never had to do that with me. Things that I've never even, I don't think about whether I'm putting my hands in my pockets or if I have a backpack when I'm in a retail store. Um, these, are, these are godly Christian men and women who love Jesus, who have had experiences that I have no context for at all, and have shaped who they are and how they see our society. Um, and they've sat with me and walked with me, and uh, I, I just couldn't possibly have imagined how much their perspective would add uh, so much to who I am as a person, uh, challenge me so deeply as a Christian, bolster my faith in God so powerfully, and um, now I'm just ruined. I am ruined for the transcultural church. I do not want to ever worship again with a church that, with everybody like me. I'm just not interested. Um, it, that sounds awful to me. Uh, so there's a reason why we didn't go off. When they said, hey, let's, let's not be multi-site, there's a reason why we didn't say, well, too bad I'm a church planner. I'm going to go off and I'm going to plant a church with some really nuanced, subtle, single-word name in a, <laughs> in, a, in a repurposed warehouse with candlelit, you know, candelabras and, and emo sad, contemplative Christian music. It's because sacrificing my preferences, which those are all my preferences, uh, is worth worshiping with God's transcultural community. It's worth it. Sacrificing my preferences is worth it. I'm going to choose to obey the command of God instead of obey the creeping of my own preferences. That's what God calls us to. That's what he called Abram to do. He said, go, go. He said, obey, leave your land, leave your culture, leave your society. I really need you guys to grasp this. He said, leave everything that you know. Now, if you're a foreign missionary or you're interested in foreign missions, you're saying, yeah, we went. That's what we do. That's awesome. But most of us just need to go across the street or over to another neighborhood. We're not going to go overseas. And that's why I need you to grasp this. This is how God launched his Transcultural Community Campaign. He said, you've got to go, Abram. You've got to believe that what I have for you and my intentions for you and my plans and what I'm forming into is more vital than what you prefer. He said, go. And then he attached six promises to this going. Let's look at the first three in verse two. He said, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So this is what he says first. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation. All right, now you gotta understand the weight of this proclamation, right? Abram's about 75 years old. You don't see a lot of nations being birthed through 75-year-olds. God bless you, 75-year-olds. Not only is Abram old, but his wife is old. Uh, Paul says she was very old. That's how Paul describes her, very old. And we know that she was barren from birth, right? So she's old, she's barren, And he's old, but God says, if you would display faith, if you would believe me over your cultural pull, if you would believe me over your contextual preferences, if you would believe me over your ethnic identity, if you would believe me over your familial bond, if you would believe me over your societal desires, that I'm going to do the impossible. I'm going to birth a nation through your old nomadic immigrant self and your barren wife. I'm going to birth a nation through you make you into a great nation. Second, he says, not only that, not only are you going to make you a great nation, I'm going to bless you. He says, I'm going to bless you. This is some non-prosperity, prosperity prosperity gospel going on right here. He's saying, I'm going to put some material wealth in your hands so that when you get to where I'm sending you, you're going to be able to do what I need you to do, what I've called you to do. You're going to make it. You're going to have my hand on you. Everything you touch is going to prosper. If you, if, you listen to, if you listen to me, if you just obey, this is the plan that I'm hatching. I'm gonna hatch it through you. So if you obey and you'll, you'll have everything you need for the journey, you'll have everything you need for living, you'll have everything that you need. When we obey God, he does bless us. He does. It might not always be materially, but he can do great things with, through us. He can birth great dreams through us when we obey him. He says, if you obey me, go from your land, from your country, from your culture, from the things that you think you need to make you whole, then I'm gonna bless you. And I will do far more than you can imagine. Then, third, he says, not only will I birth a nation from you, but I'm gonna barak you. I'm gonna bless you. The word there is barak, by the way. That's our president's first name. Barak, it means bless. He says, I'm gonna make your name great. I'm going to continue to read in Genesis, um, or I'm going to continue throughout Genesis to spread your influence. You see Abram's influence just spread and spread and spread as God continues to bless him and to make his name great. We're still talking about Abram now, this BC immigrant today, because his name was made so great. He made his name great enough to be the descendant of our Savior Jesus, He says, I'm going to birth a nation from you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. And all the promises that I've laid on you, others will share in those blessings through you. You hear that, church? That's for us. Others, we're going to share in his blessing through this line. That's us. We're sharing in the blessing stream of Abraham. When he goes and follows with three more promises. He says, I'll bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of earth shall be blessed. So those who speak well of you, those who believe the God that has sent you, believe the narrative that God's given you, those who generate from your line, those who walk in the stream of your blessing, I'm gonna bless you. They're gonna be blessed too. Those who reject you, those who push you away, those who disobey the God who has sent you, they're gonna reap the consequences of not serving me. I'm gonna bless those who bless you and I'm gonna curse those who curse you. And then we get to the heart of it here. You got to see I'm going to build this all together right. We have to see how this is how this all builds as one idea. Obey me. Leave everything you know. Leave everything you understand. Leave everything that makes you whole. Everything, leave your culture, your context, your preferences, leave your ethnic identity and I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to make your name great. I'm gonna bless people who believe the things that I've said and that you say and walk in the stream of your blessing and I'm gonna reject those who don't believe the things that I've said and don't walk in the stream of your blessing, won't believe in the God that you serve. And tied to all of this is this pivotal statement, all, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed through you. All, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in you. And this is important because I don't want you to get the wrong perspective like Abram was faithful, be faithful like Abram. This this story is not about Abram, it's about God. This is not Abram-focused, it's God-focused because everything that God did for him, all the blessing, making him a nation, making his name great, it was all for God's purpose to execute his plan through Abram. Why did he make him a great nation? Why did he put his hand of blessing on him? Why did he make his name great? Because God had a plan to fulfill, a promise to fulfill. He would form a family for himself and he chose this man to be the progeny of this new plan, this plan that he had, the beginnings of this plan. And everything that he did for him was so that God could get his glory in executing his goal to form a family for himself from all people. This is God's thing. This is God's plan that he is doing. He wanted all nations to know love, and worship God together as a family. So now, there's no way that Abram could have fully understood that, right? He couldn't have fully understood all of God's plan. But he understood something, because we see that he somehow knew that he was gonna accomplish it through Jesus. Because in John chapter eight, Jesus said, Abram rejoiced at my coming. What does that mean? How did Abram know that? I don't know. Um, Abram probably didn't have the full picture, but somehow... Somehow he knew something. He he didn't know that God was gonna become a man and walk on earth. He didn't know that he would submit himself to sacrifice at the hands of the very people that he created and he came to save. Um, Maybe Abram didn't know, but somehow, for some reason, Jesus said that he rejoiced at his coming. One day, centuries ago, Abram had some understanding of the good news of the gospel, the gospel gospel. He believed God because of it, that God himself would descend in his family line for the express purpose of what? That is a huge question for us. Now, I know many of us have bought into American Christianity, American churchianity that says, God died for my individual sins and my individual relationship with God. That is true, but it's truncated. God died for a people, not a person. God died for a people, not a person. So, how's God fulfilled his plan to bring a people together? He fulfilled it in Jesus. That's the good news that we celebrate as Christians, right? Just like Abram, Jesus obeyed God and he left the comfort and honor of heaven to come down and be born as a baby in a stinky manger and served and experienced, uh, he experienced hunger and sadness, rejection. And then he was obedient like Abram, all the way even to being willing to hang on a cross in our place for our sins. So that Jesus, our brother, could reconcile us to the father so that we could be adopted into this family that he is forming from all nations of the earth. Do you hear that good news, family? Jesus knows what it's like to be asked to leave comfort, to go obey God. Hebrews says that he went to the cross for the joy that was set before him, though. He believed there was something rich and wonderful and good in obeying God and leaving his comfort to sacrifice, and that there is something good, right? We're all here today because of that. So, guys. What what do we have here? We've got the beginning of the rest of the Old Testament, right? Starting right here with Abram. It's going to unfold. It's going to reveal to us that God was going to send his Savior, whose atoning blood, as Isaiah 52 says, sprinkles the nations. And we see that his descendant of Abraham would be the one through whom all nations would come to return to the Father. All nations. All nations. I hope I sound repetitive. This has always been the plan of God, always. To form a people from himself from all people was never not the plan of God. A gathering of different peoples and different races and different ethnicities and different languages and different economic strata and different education levels has always been the plan of God. Not some addendum to the gospel. Not some good idea to add on because the multi-ethnic church movement is a cool new hip movement. But because the God that made all people is choosing to save some people and redeem some people into his family who he's going to spend eternity with. So, the beginning of this glorious goal is being fleshed out through this one obedient immigrant. And I, I keep using the word immigrant, and I'm doing it on purpose because the Bible's clear on how we treat immigrants, and because the father of faith is an immigrant wandering through Canaan, down through Egypt, completely out of place, completely out of context, completely out of culture, completely in the will of God. And we're invited into the same plan, the same will, uh, as God's redemptive plan unfolds, his redemptive plan to gather a people for himself from all people. So we're the church. We're the fulfillment of this plan, right? We're God's covenant people. We're God's people. We are the fulfillment of this plan. This is us. We're not waiting for somebody else to show up. We are the people we've been waiting for to fulfill this plan. We're the wild branch grafted onto the great tree of God's family, right? It's from the Old Testament to the New. It's one flow. It's one narrative. Has the gospel changed? No, no. Has the thrust of scriptures changed? No. Has has the goal of God changed? No. But how is it that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said back a long time ago that Sunday was the most segregated day of the week and it still remains today? It's because we haven't changed. The gospel hasn't changed, but neither have we. We remain the same. Yet, yet, Sound City Bible Church, you may not believe it, but you have an incredible opportunity to reflect God's redemptive plan right here in Snohomish County. Incredible plan, opportunity. I know Snohomish County and King County are predominantly white. I understand that. Um, so you may be asking, how do we have every opportunity to reflect God's transcultural church? Um, there's a slide I wanna share with you here. Um, I, pu- I put on the background, there's, if you ever look it up, uh, I don't know, you can Google uh, dot demographics map. This guy put together this map based off the census, and he used blue for white folks, and green for black, and red for what do he use? Red for Asian, and orange for Hispanic. And you can see this is a map of the area we're at. Um, it's kind of hard. well, you can kind of see. You can see there's clumps. Do you see how it gets shaded, especially along 99? Um, most of it's blue, obviously, and then you have clumps of red. You have clumps of orange, um, and there's a demographic breakdown. Of just Snohomish County, uh, there are 221,000 non-white people living in Snohomish County. Uh, so, for you white brothers and sisters, that's 221,000 opportunities to make a relationship with somebody who's having a different racial experience than you. That's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot more people than are here in this room, right? Um, it's a lot of folks. The only number of people, the only percentage that has gone down from 2010 to 2014 is white. So you have a growing opportunity in Sonomish County to, to meet more people who, not, who don't come from your cultural context. Um, and it's an intentional, you have, you have an opportunity to make an intentional relationship, to go out of your way to make a relationship with somebody who reflects some other view of, of the society or God or life um, that, that isn't white American Reformed Christian. All right? Um, And with this next slide that we have here, there are over 39 non-English languages spoken in the homes of almost 130,000 Snohomish County residents. That means there are real cultural, historical uh, values being passed down in these homes with vastly different cultural um, perspectives on God and life and society Uh, that you can go seek out and learn from. Especially our Christian brothers and sisters, you can invite them to worship with you. And you can seek to try to worship together, seek to try to uh, be a group of people that shows God's redemptive, radical redemptive love together. Some of you may ask, why fight against people's natural preferences? Why not let folks uh, clump up like that map clearly showed we clump up? Um, It's important to also be informed about your history. Um, I did a little bit of research on my way up here, and I, by the way, I am just the most ignorant person about racial stuff. I am always shocked, and, and my especially my uh, fellow African-American staff members are just like, why are you surprised to get, like, we keep telling you this is what it's like, and, uh, but I'm always shocked. But up until the 60s, every neighborhood, I'm talking Magnolia, Queen Anne, Kenmore, all these suburban neighborhoods, Enos Arden, they all had racially restrictive covenants. And it said clearly on their, if you bought a house in that area, you could not resell, rent, or let anyone who was not white live in your house. This is, the the 60s are not that long ago, folks. That's shaped this area. That's shaped, if you were told you're not wanted here for for, uh, decades and decades and decades... Uh, that it's not surprising that it's 70% white in Snohomish County and 60% white in King County. It's not surprising at all, right? So if we recognize there was an intentionally racist past in the Northwest, then it's going to take an intentionally reconciliatory effort to experience all of God's creative genius reflected in culture to fix that. So it's got to move out of this room and into your houses, into your friend circles, into your choice of music, into your relational dynamics, who keeps your kids, who watches your house when you're out of town, who you share meals with. The church is supposed to be the fulfillment of God's plan to gather a family from all peoples. The church should be nothing less. Transcultural, then, it's more than a good idea. As a matter of fact, it's more than some simple add to the gospel. It's more than an annoyance. And the efforts that it takes to produce the fruit of the idea are redemptive, and they're worth it. I promise they are worth it. It's hard, though. It's hard. You've got to be willing to sacrifice for it. You've got to be willing to let it alter the way that you choose to do life, and you do work, and do service, and relationships, and neighboring, and mission. You've got to let it alter everything. Because the bottom line is that we cannot have all of God unless we are gathering with people that reflect other cultures. We can't have all of them. We can't have all of God because it takes all cultures to capture the fullness of his creative genius. It takes all cultures and the gloriousness of his goodness. You don't know all of God's goodness unless you know him expressed through all the cultures that he's created. So there's a few questions that we can ask ourselves as you seek to work this practically out as a church. Number one, are you hospitable to everyone? Do you clump up or do you branch out? White folks, do you clump up or do you branch out? Asian folks, do you clump up or do you branch out? Black folks, are you clumping up or are you branching out? Artsy folks, clumping up, branching out? Wealthy folks, are you clumping up or branching out? What does your friend circle look like? Comfortable and convenient or Christ-like and sacrificial? Are you equally hospitable to everyone? Do you open your home to your neighbors who don't look like you or act like you or make what you make or think like you think? What about the people in this community? What about the people in your community group? Are they in on everything? Are they in on every party, every hangout, every time you gather? Or are you drifting towards those you most easily connect with? And left the other ones. The other ones are left outside. Number two, are you called to be an immigrant so that you can bless another people here or abroad? Are you called to leave your neighborhood and move into the one into one that's less comfortable, or leave your country to move into one that's less comfortable, so you can bless and be blessed by another people? The richness of God's diversity in humanity is a real thing that is awesome and amazing, and Sonomish County needs it as much as any other place. And you guys have the opportunity. What if you were crazy enough to move to a neighborhood where you were the only white family? What if you were crazy enough to move to an area where you're the only Asian family, or the only black family, or the only the only person on that block that represents your culture? and you were willing to sacrifice, to obey God's call, to experience the richness of of him and his creative genius in people who aren't like you, bringing people together, blessing those who live around you, and inviting them to walk in the blessing stream of Abraham as God gathers a family from all people. What if you guys were crazy enough to do that for the sake of the gospel? What if Sound City could stand out as salt and light to those around you, as an entire people dedicated to weaving together a rich tapestry of color, culture, and class that showed God's broader picture of his creative genius. Number three, this is a nice, soft question. Are you willing to forsake your preferences, prejudices, comfort, and cultural closed-mindedness in order to fully experience and obey God? I think that question speaks for itself. Um, Abram, he gave up everything and was blessed by God. He gave up everything and was blessed by God. And I know it's difficult to imagine altering the rhythms of your life. Um, who you hang out with or where you spend your time or spending time in neighborhoods that don't seem desirable to you or with people who you don't understand or who might make you feel uncomfortable. But you cannot fully experience God nor fully obey him if you put obeying him inside the bounds of your preferences and your comfortability. You cannot. You just can't. God pours his oil into broken vessels, broken vessels that are struggling and need him, not into vessels that try to hold themselves together within, with their comfort and their preferences. If you guys are willing to do that, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to give yourself to this idea? If you are, if you're willing to sacrifice your preferences and your comfort to experience more of God, If you're willing, I believe Sound City Bible Church could stand out and offer an incredible experience, a dramatic display of God's radical reconciling love and offer a foretaste of the multicultural heaven that Jesus is coming back to establish. Let's pray. Father... um, we thank you so much that your plan for redemption didn't just include Abram and the Jews, but it included us Gentiles. That your plan was radical to radiate out, from, radiate out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, and that you've included us in your family. Jesus, we praise you and we love you that you did not choose equality with God as something to be grasped, but gave it up, found yourself born in the likeness of man, as a servant, and that you were obedient even to death on the cross. We are so glad that that you've been raised to the right hand of the Father, that your name is above every name, that you're willing to come here as a foreigner to relate to us, to get in the dirt with us, to wear skin, and to experience humanity in order to save us and adopt us into your family. We pray that that good news, your wonderful, overwhelming, gratuitous good news um, would wash over us and give us the freedom to be radical, to step out of the norm and to make relationships with people who aren't like us. I pray that you would, Holy Spirit, convict, empower, give vision to everyone here in this room that this church would be unified in a desire to more uh, fully reflect all of your creative genius, uh, to be a place where people can come and see people who look like them and say, I belong here. I could be in leadership here. I can worship here. I'm valued here. My culture isn't stomped out or belittled here. Um, I pray that... uh, you would cause Sound City Bible Church to, to be a light, to be a foretaste of heaven where every tongue and every tribe and every culture will worship your name, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen.
2: Friends, we thank you to Pastor Justin for teaching us this morning. Man, what a timely and encouraging and challenging and convicting word for us, and uh, uh, before we go into our time of response, I have promised myself I'm not going to preach, but I haven't preached in three weeks, so give me just two minutes here, okay? And that's a preacher two minutes, so probably means like five. Um, it's timely for us because we as an elder team of Salon City Bible Church have been talking about these types of questions, wrestling through some of these types of questions as well, and as you know, I I announced a few weeks ago that in the fall, once we finish the book of Hebrews, by the way, thanks for dropping so many Hebrews references. Was that on purpose? Uh, you can't say, okay, it's good, because we've been going through Hebrews for the better part of a year. We're about to finish it up. When we're done, we're going to take five weeks and do a sermon series that we're calling Gospel Justice in Suburbia, uh, trying to address some of these specific conversation topics for us as a church living in largely suburban contexts. And one of those weeks, uh, our intention is to bring another guest speaker to come, uh, a man named Javon Washington. Some of you might know, he's a friend of mine for the last five years, uh, a, a younger African American man who just got hired on, he's in Memphis, he just got hired on, get this, uh, at at a Presbyterian church to be the pastor of racial reconciliation ministries because historically this Presbyterian church had written in their bylaws that in order to become a member of this church, you had to be of a fitting type of person. It was veiled language for saying only white people can be a member of this church. And they just hired on a black man to be the pastor of Racial Reconciliation Ministries. Do you think that church standing out in their community, especially in the South where things are much more overtly divided as opposed to more passively divided here in the Pacific Northwest? So what a beautiful and, and timely uh, a message for us. And I'll just share one other thing. For me, it's, it's personal. Uh, Because most of you know, my wife and I have been involved in foster care for uh, not quite a decade now, and we had, you know, white Anglo kids and non-white Anglo kids, and currently we have a five-year-old boy living with us who is very much uh, not white, very dark brown skin. And we went to the uh, Yost pool in Edmonds the other day, and it was a sea of white, white, white flesh uh, at the swimming pool. The only other brown person there was, I think it was a white lady who had just spent too much time in a tanning bed, but... uh, I'm just looking like uh, I'll I'll fix that for the next service. But yeah, I'm just and I'm looking at at, at at my son, this boy, and just how he stands out. And then the very next day, I took him to his kindergarten jumpstart. And it was like, wow, this, I felt like the minority at a school. Cameron, you, you, you can experience where our kids are in the same school together, like being a, a white Anglo family, like, well, we're kind of in the minority at this elementary school. And so these sorts of things are starting to play around in my mind. We've been having conversations in the Elder Team Sound City. I'm, I'm thankful for this message. And I'm thankful that it is in the heart of the gospel that, that Jesus is saving people from every nation, tribe, tongue, and language unto himself. And we get to celebrate that. Amen? All right, so with that said, let's respond to the good news. We're going to respond uh, first by giving of our tithes and offerings. We invite you to just give as worship, to give unto the Savior who gave us everything. Uh, we're going to, uh, if you're a guest, please know there's no obligation for you to give, but you're welcome to, uh, as an act of worship, join with us. If you want information about how to give online or text to give, you can find that on the screen or in the handout you were given. While they're collecting the offering and before they hand out the elements for communion, let me just uh, read a few discussion questions that Pastor Justin helped prepare for us. Us, uh, this week, so we can talk about them in our community groups, and uh, you know, we 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 haven't used the hashtag "Embrace the Awkward" in a few weeks, but I think this would be a good week in our community groups to embrace the awkward. So, number one, how do you define normal? What are the presumptions you make based upon normalcy according to your cultural or societal preferences? How do you imagine that God sees our presumptions of normalcy? Number two, are you hospitable to everyone equally? How do you plan your social calendar and who do you invite into your home? Number three. What specific steps can you and your community group take to engage those from a different culture or class this week? What are some specific ways we can forsake our prejudices, comfort, cultural preferences, in order to live, uh, in order to more fully embrace the many different peoples living around us? Number four, read Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. How does the gospel equip us for the work of bringing together God's transcultural community? I I love that part of the sermon, Justin, when you said that, that this isn't something we're doing because it's hip or it's trendy or because CNN is talking about racial stuff. This is in the heart of the gospel, friends. This is God's plan. If the world starts to embrace multiculturalism or transculturalism, they're just borrowing it from the God who came up with it in the first place. So this is on us as Christians to enter into these conversations. Then there's an action item. You gave our people homework. I'm glad you did that because uh, they won't do it if I give it. Ask someone with a different cultural background from yours to share a meal and ask them to share how they experience this society, their faith, how they experience God through their particular cultural lens. Really listen and don't be afraid to ask questions. Okay? As the uh, servers are passing out the elements for communion, I'll ask you to hold on to these. We'll take this together in just a moment, and and, uh, I'll invite the musicians to go ahead and come up on stage now as we prepare for our time of singing and response. Uh, We have a a scripture, 1 Corinthians 11, that we read every single week, uh, most every single week as part of our celebration. I'm going to flip from the script for a minute. I want to read from Revelation 19. We don't have this on the slide, but this is Revelation 19, verse 6. It says, Then I heard... What seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult. Let us give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints." And the angel said to me, write this, blessed, here it is friends, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. And earlier in Revelation, we read that specific phrase that that this group of people is made up of people from every nation, tribe, tongue, and language. And so when we hear this, this voice of a great multitude and we see this picture of the wedding supper of the Lamb, Today, as we celebrate communities, we take this bread and we we drink of this juice, reminding us of the broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus, let us be thankful that no matter what your cultural or ethnic background, you were invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And one day, what this meager meal, this dry cracker and nasty juice, what this represents will be a great feast in the presence of Jesus himself, with people, not only from every culture, but throughout all of history. What a joy that's going to be, amen? What a joy that's going to be. And so I invite you today to celebrate the Lord's table with a heart of thanksgiving and a heart of gladness and with an anticipatory look in your heart. We're going to sing, we're going to sing kind of country white people music, sorry, but we're going to sing and we're going to lift our voices and we're going to celebrate because Jesus is worthy, amen? And so what I'm going to invite you to do is is I'm going to invite you to celebrate the Lord's table, and then as you're ready, please stand to your feet and and join in in singing. Let me pray for our our time here of response. God, we thank you that you are a a creative God, that you are a God who uh, is so much bigger than our expectations. God, you're constantly surprising, you're constantly challenging, and you're constantly good. And so I pray now as we enter into this time of response, Lord Jesus, would you make your presence known here among us? God, help us to sing with great joy. God, help us to repent with great passion and receive grace and mercy and forgiveness where we need to. God, if there is prejudice in our hearts, would you root that out right now by your Holy Spirit? God, would you give us courage to follow you? Uh, as, As Pastor Justin said, it's hard, but it's worth it. And we believe that to be true. We pray for this time of singing and response, and be be all focused on Jesus and his goodness. It's in his name we pray. Amen.